On today's episode, we talk with Bayran Ybarra, a friend who works diligently to recognize and rectify the past, to empathize with others, and who looks for a flow of new experiences in each moment. I mean, there's definitely still a lot of anger I need to work through. Um, like, I lived my entire life angry. And I've, you know, only just scratched the surface of the very big thing. Like, I think the biggest thing is, in terms of anger and relationships right now, is I don't speak to my mom. That's not something I'm interested in changing, but that is something I need to process a little more. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Humanity Scudu. Uh, today with us is our wonderful guest, um, a longtime friend, Byron Ibarra. Byron, how are you? I'm doing good, man. How are you? I'm great. Also, an important question is, did I pronounce your last name correctly? Uh, yes, actually. I can't roll my R, so I can't do it, so thank you for doing oh, it. Okay, so I actually was <laughs> superseding your ability to yeah. pronounce your own last name. <laughs> That's very good. Okay. Um, excellent. Uh, well, this is exciting because uh, I actually have not done the podcast for a while. If anybody's listening to all these at once somewhere in the future, you will not notice a lapse. But uh, for me, it's been several months. So uh, at your request, actually, uh, to get back into this felt like something really good, really appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with that, uh, we are here this evening to to talk and to uh just get to know you and your life and what it's all been like and um just see how it goes so are you having a good evening yeah i mean i just got off work so i'm pretty tired um but i'm excited i got a flight coming up in two days tech tomorrow for me because i don't go to bed till 6 a.m so that's really early uh or really late i guess depending on how you uh look at it yeah i work second shift so my shift starts at three and I get home at like midnight. Oh, gotcha. Okay. I don't like going to Excellent. bed right after work. Well, yeah, that's fair. You give yourself some time to sort of unwind, mm-hmm. uh, watch a movie, uh, play a video game, go jogging for a couple hours. I'm not sure what you do. But actually what I would like to do is mm-hmm. uh, since it's actually – this is going to be kind of nice. It's been a while since I've really caught up with you is can we learn a little bit about you? What, what, what are you doing right now for work? Uh, I am a diesel mechanic for Penske. Um, right. okay. basically what my job is, I'm a tech three, which is the lowest level technician. My job is to just, uh, go through the trucks, do preventative maintenance, inspect them, make sure they're all up to DOT spec. Um, and if they're not, we write them up. So someone who's better than me can fix it. Better than you. Okay. So you are basically helping diagnose as a whole, uh, sort of, uh, okay. depends on like basically what I'm doing essentially is just, uh, making sure trucks meet DOT standards. Okay. Um, and I do like basic stuff like oil change. I'll change tires, change out okay, lights, yeah, stuff you, like that. But. Some basic stuff you got going down. Mm-hmm. Okay. How long have you been doing that for? Uh, I started it when I was living in Texas in October of 22, 21. Yeah. Okay. A year and a year and some change. A year and four. Perfect. Six months. Okay. That's pretty good. So you feel like you're, you're at this point, you're you're doing a pretty good job with sort of being comfortable, uh, not just doing sort of like uh, basic mechanic work, but also being able to diagnose pretty accurately in the event that you need to send it up further. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Okay. It's I kind of fell into this career path on accident, and it was extremely intimidating when I first started because I didn't know 
goddamn thing. Okay, so you actually you had no like experience or like any sort of level with this prior to this actual job. Basically, no. I mean, my first job in mechanics was at Valvoline, which is pretty much just oil changes. Okay. And then I worked at a couple dealerships, just basically just oil changes again. And then okay. suddenly now I'm working on big rigs. So it was a Interesting. huge leap up, and I sure. didn't know much. Okay, so you're, you're normally working for like every citizen's car, and then suddenly you're now doing like 18 wheelers? Yeah, with they got federal standards you have to meet. And the scariest thing they ever told me at work is like if you PM a truck, you go inspect, and you miss something DOT, and something happens, you can go to prison. You can okay, wow. I, so, like, I could go to prison if I screwed up really badly. So it's not even like they just write you up or they fire you, but like you go to jail if a guy's like tire flies off and you didn't catch it. Yeah, if a tire flies off and kills somebody, that's I'm going to jail. <laughs> okay, so if the tire flies off and doesn't kill anybody, like is there still like, a penalty? Uh, probably I would imagine because okay, the, I was gonna say okay, so I'm you certainly might at least jail. fired. <laughs> yeah, the very okay, yeah, I would I would imagine that makes sense that there's gonna be a fairly deep consequence. But as long as nobody is like dead or injured, you might not go to prison. Yeah. Wow. That... What kind of sentence is that? I'm just, I mean, you might not know, but like, do you, would it be like a, a year or five years? Like what? I I would imagine that depends on the severity of the. Se- secondhand manslaughter if a tire flies into somebody's head. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Does that ever, do you feel like that's something that really makes you nervous? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I mean, I'd like to, I, as far as I'm concerned, that would make me tremendously nervous if the stakes were such that, like, if I sold somebody a game <laughs> and, <laughs> like, they, they, um, I don't know, they ate a DS game and got sick and th- then the FBI comes crashing through my walls and sends me to jail, <laughs> I'd feel really nervous about, like, everything that, like, might feel sort of innocuous or inconsequential, but suddenly if, the, like, you have these high stakes that sort of heighten it, is that been intimidating for you or does it make you sort of buckle down further and you you feel like you get better at the job it was intimidating at first because that wasn't like you know a thing with regular vehicles they just come in would fix it company would pay for it you know whatever Mm -hmm. um i wouldn't go to prison over that but the basics of my job what i'm doing on a day-to-day uh minus you know some exceptions is fairly simple and it's fairly routine you're walked through it on a headset um but what it did do for me is I have always had a habit of kind of cutting corners, not necessarily to a point where, like, I'm causing problems, but just sure. making things quicker, a little more efficient. But you can't do that with these trucks. Sure. Um, so do, do you do you feel like – did you ever think years ago that you'd ever enter a car job that would have this kind of, like, level of consequence? Because that would never occur to me that any sort of like mechanical job outside of like servicing like the president's airplane or something could carry like a federal consequence. No, I mean, definitely not. I didn't even, I never even considered DOT was a thing until, you know, I started working on diesel trucks. Yeah. Okay. So as you've been doing this, um, is it something that – okay, because so, you said that you've never – like this is not a, a job that you really like sought out maybe. I don't know if like maybe you, you at one point decided, hey, I want to get into this. You said that you sort of fell into this. Yeah, so when I uh, when I first moved to Texas, I was just – I was staying at my cousin's place. He was putting me up while I you know got on my feet, 
and I was just looking, seeing what was hiring, and I ended up applying to Valvoline. I had changed oil before on my own cars, so it wasn't like that far to the realm. And then I just, I really enjoyed that work because I was working with my hands. It's the same reason I stuck with when I was working with pizza for so long. I oh, like yeah. the, I like the physical work, and I like fast-paced environments. It keeps me busy. So I, I okay. enjoyed that job. I enjoyed the people I worked with. And I just kind of stuck with that field ever since. And I, yeah. Sure. Okay. So like the, the busyness, because this is something that's kind of cool uh, to think about is that like jobs are something that you, there's always sort of like a, a contentious conversation with people, which is not everybody wants to work, which is fair because like not everybody wants to feel like tired. They just want to live. They want to make sure mm -hmm. they can live a life without having the need to like, you know, bust their brains all day just to survive. But at the same time, there are people who do thrive on the activity. Um, maybe it's good for, like, mental health. Maybe it's good for, like, physical coordination or physical strength building. Um, but it sounds like you've sort of leaned into the idea of saying, I want, uh, I want to be active and not just, like, contributing something, but, like, you really like the actual physical hands-on yeah. activity. Okay. It's, and it's... so... It, you said pizza as well was part of that. Um, and that's kind of cool. Is is that – so before this car job, is there like anything that you had maybe sort of like looked into as like this is sort of like the dream job. This is like the goal. This is sort of like the end game uh, that you're, you're, you're striving for. Was there something hands-on that you really like had sort of like had in mind? I mean not really. I've never really had a big goal. The only thing that was ever like that for me would have been boxing. When I was oh, chasing right. that yeah. for a while, um, but as for specific career paths, no, I never really. It wasn't ever something I gave a lot of thought to. You just sort of did what was in front of you, and just mm -hmm. like you're, you're fine, sort of being like, uh, whatever's there is there. Yeah, and it, it's still sort of the same today. Sure. Um, primarily, the reason I've stuck with this company for so long—it's the only job I've worked at for more than a year. Um, hmm. It's because. The people are nice, you know, when you don't talk about politics with them. Sure. Uh, but, you know, people are nice. They're really helpful. The job's good. I enjoy it. I'm fairly good at it, I would say. I, I mean, I'm better. I'm learning. I was really bad at it when I started. Mm -hmm. But all that, and it's guaranteed 40 hours. It's got benefits, all that stuff. And now that I've moved north, I'm now that I've moved to Ohio, the shop I'm at now is Union. Okay. So that's, so that's nice. You exciting. have like some sort of like protection and yeah. you feel like you're part of a group that actually has your best interest in mind and is not trying to maybe exploit your ability or skill. Yeah. Not that I felt that Penske was ever out to get me, but just the, sure. ad the added bit of security is nice. Yeah. That sounds really, really nice. Okay. So, uh, I mean, one thing that you and I have discussed an awful lot because like a really common thread between us, uh, was our friend Michelle, you know, yes. who, um, uh, many people know passed a couple of years ago, but she was actually a very common thread between both of us, uh, shared a lot of philosophy and, you know, this podcast is sort of like a spiritual follow-up to something that Michelle and I had started years ago. Um, so talking philosophy and like your own personal construct of like who you are is something I wanted to get into a little bit. Sure. Um, and I, I think that you've actually just tapped into something already that I think is, is, is really interesting with saying that like, you are very go with the flow. You are very fine not focusing or even hyper fixating on, I need to get this job. I need to do this thing. This has to happen or I won't be happy. Mm -hmm. You seem very able to just sort of say, 
well, here's where I am, so this is what I'm going to do. Yeah, you know? it's been a contentious point in a lot of relationships I've had. I, yeah, I can only imagine. In fact, actually, how how does that kind of thing like really work out for you? Because a lot of people are very goal driven, and it might be really hard for them to to find somebody that can focus on literally task at hand, but be completely okay with like a nebulous sort of future, with just whatever happens happens. How how does how does that worked out like, and what kind of discussions has that brought up for you? Uh, so the first one that comes to mind is with my most recent uh, ex. You know, mm -hmm. lovely person. I'm, I love her to death to this day, and sure. you know, we're still good friends. But one of the, um, a conversation that we had that like really, like solidified in my mind that this was not going to work out in the long term. Um, mm -hmm. We just started talking about future plans in general, not necessarily ours, just the way, you know, people come across those things. And my sort of philosophy has always been that, uh, well, hers is. She wants to secure herself right now, you know, young, so that she is set for the rest of her life. She can do the things she wants. Mm -hmm. And my philosophy was sort of almost op almost completely opposite to that in that mm -hmm. I am more concerned with doing the things I want to do now when I'm young, when I'm able, because, you know, tomorrow is never guaranteed. I, sure. So you're very focused on the philosophy of – uh, you might not get a second chance to do it. So in the moment is the time to live. Yeah. And we were just, you know, going back and forth on that. And mm -hmm. she said, you know, that's why you hedge your bets so that you can, you know, secure yourself. Now you hedge your bets in the fact that you're going to be here that long so that you can do those things. And sure. my response was, I understand. I guess I just don't find that bet worth taking. Do you think that stems from anything like an experience in your life where something might have changed the idea of like long-term security for like an instant sort of, you know, uh, things have happened. You know, you've, maybe you've had friends or loved ones or family members that have passed and they never got the chance to. And it maybe kickstarted you into the philosophy of, you know, the here and now really is the only thing. Because, of course, both camps are totally valid. Oh, Absolutely. But, you know, like, do you think that anything sort of in your life had sort of pushed you in that direction? Or is that just how you've always been? Uh, I'd say a little bit of both. I know that um, early on in my, like, uh, later childhood, my dad had, you know, pretty successful windows and doors business. He had a shop in Cruces, El Paso, Albuquerque. Mm -hmm. um, we were doing fairly well, and then all of that was gone. And then we were just living, you know pure poverty government housing things like that mm -hmm. so there was no security with that even you know working as hard as he was as successful as he was it could sure so when you it. say everything was gone like what happened to sort of like remove that security and stability from you uh, if i may ask of no yeah of course oh good that's the point the, of the podcast yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the it was it was a number of things uh the inciting incident, I would say, for this and a lot of things in my life would be the death of my brother that oh, yes. okay. affected my dad greatly. And uh, a lot of illnesses came up pretty soon after that. Things that I'm sure would have come up regardless, but the, you know, with the stress and the grief and everything that came after my brother's death probably kickstarted those. So then he couldn't okay. work anymore. He was... You know, his mental state was gone. It took him a long time to start to recover sure. from that. 
how did that affect you specifically? Because it sounds like your dad took a pretty big mental hit from that. But like in terms of your response to that, what was that like? I had only well, he I met him once. He stayed with us for one school year. Okay, so you didn't like grow up very closely then. No, he okay. he has a different mom. He lived with her in Chicago. Okay. Um, and he was gonna come live with us, but he went back the summer and just didn't come back. I guess my dad said he didn't like how strict my dad was. My dad was really strict back then, so mm-hmm. I I can definitely see that. Sure. But I mean, it wasn't like I wasn't affected. It was very. I was hurt, you know, because I did get along with him. Mm-hmm. But most of it was just seeing how it affected my dad, who at that point in my life, I don't think I had ever seen him cry. Oh, wow. Okay, so that must have been like a really jarring thing yeah, uh, I, for you in general on, on several levels. Yeah, we were living in either Las Cruces or Albuquerque. No, we were living in Albuquerque, and we were visiting family in Las Cruces. We were staying in a Motel 6, and I was woken up by my dad sobbing. Oh, wow. And I, I was like 10 years old, and I looked at him, and he, he sees me, and he says, Rick's dead. They killed him. Oh, wow. I, I just remember this vividly because it's the first time I've ever seen my dad like that. And I also sure. remember, and this is a little messed up, but I, I was half awake. I wasn't really processing what was happening. Right. But just the look on my dad's face, my 10-year-old brain was like, that's a funny face. And then I went back to sleep. So it didn't even like register with you. There's a, a cognizance when you're 10 years old, but also like that's a really big thing to intake fully. And mm-hmm. so I can only imagine there was a lot of stuff that like was not being fully processed at that point, which makes a lot of sense. I um yeah, I mean I definitely understood what had happened. Right. Uh, I don't really think I ever not that I can remember any of I don't think I ever cried about it. Mm-hmm. I felt very removed from him and his death. Sure. But then you saw what it affected, uh, how it affected your father, and then what that did to affect your family. And as such, you just realized that like all it takes is an instant for everything to change. Yeah. Okay. But b- before then, was it something that like you felt like uh, with dad's family business, you guys were, hey, we're good. Everything's clearly going fine right now. Therefore, the future is is fairly well secure. And then, I... and that was that sort of like a moment that really change that for you uh i i'm not sure that i ever really thought about i mean i was like 10 years old but i do know that like you know we weren't hurting for money our pantry was full my dad was you know buying me the games i wanted everything like that Mm -hmm. um and it was just you know we had our own place and then now we're living with my grandparents you know now we're living in a camper in my grandpa's backyard Mm mm-hmm and so how how does that affect you in sort of as being young and looking at that situation and feeling helpless because like you know you can't get like a legal job mm-hmm. and it's hard to feel like you can't contribute to something in some way because you're simply not able to as like you know a, a young citizen able to do a whole lot i mean you know uh was that something that you felt was like a really big struggle for you in just like how, how did you feel like what was that like not knowing or maybe knowing what to do like what what, what i guess what was the, what was it like for you for a long i didn't really come into like uh fully grasping our situation until i was in high school i would say sure. late middle school 
but it I was very angry just constantly even before I had fully recognized what was happening mm-hmm. um and who were you angry with everything just life really? yeah just there's you know, hands dealt yeah anger has been a very pervasive emotion throughout my entire life mm-hmm. and you know it teenagers are angry in general but i felt like it was just ever present yeah and like what did what yeah it it got worse when i became a teenager because then you know i could have my own bank account and everything like that and the first hit on my credit was a loan my dad had to take out that he never paid i see you know but i was you know, I had to do what I had to do to help us out because it was mm-hmm. that or rent right. or electricity or internet or. Sure. So you felt sort of maybe thrust into a responsibility that as a young person, you might not have been ready for. I was a responsibility I had no control over. Sure. Sure. That, yeah, that makes sense too. Um, So yeah, that sounds like a pretty, Oh, a pretty problematic thing to like sort of be forced into. Mm-hmm. Um, and you said anger was sort of like a really present component of, uh, of who you were at that point. Um, and right now, as, as far as I'm concerned, it seems like life has, has evened out for you and smoothed out for you at the time though. Like, what were you doing? Uh, was it something that you felt you recognized or did you recognize it in hindsight? And if you did recognize it, like what, what were you trying to do to like, uh, circumvent it how did you confront it how did you deal with it i made it everybody else's problem oh wow okay yeah i was i i was an asshole (laughs) in high school more than more than i think most teenage boys were um i had friends only a couple of them still speak to me from that time Hmm. and it was I would get swallowed up by these friend groups just by virtue of, you know, I have this one person I'm close to, and -hmm. I would just get swallowed up by these other people. And at best, most of those people, if I didn't, you know, form some sort of friendship with them, I would just find them inoffensive, you know, like, that's fine, you know, we're just acquaintances. But at worst, if I didn't like them, I would make it almost a mission for them to hate being around me. Interesting. So there's sort of like this vindictiveness and not targeted specifically because they did something. It was you were responding to your anger just at other people. Mm -hmm. And it's it wasn't even just them, though. They got it the worst. I was, Mm. you know, I was mean to my friends. I was just terrible to pretty much anybody I met Mm -hmm. at that time. And like I said, a lot of people just ended up dropping me. The only two people I speak to are some of my closest friends today. Sure. And uh, knowing that they sort of stuck with you through this whole thing, have, have you have you discussed that with them? Like sort of what it was like at that time? Have you guys sort of like, is it under the rug? Is it elephant in the room? Like what is that conversation like? I, I have asked them before, you know, why, you know, what on earth possessed you to still stay my friend mm-hmm. when I was treating everybody like that? And they... Both of them understood because they were in similar places. They just expressed it a little bit differently than I did. Sure. Um, so it was a sort of a kindred spirit thing. And, you know, we've all forgiven each other about 
how we treated each other. Sure. That's really uh, a very powerful and strong thing to do because I don't necessarily think that people who feel like they're being treated poorly need to stick around or need to even like, you know, uh, deal with that to the point of, of forgiveness. But it's certainly a grace when you find people that choose to, you know, Absolutely. or that can tough it out. But it also sounds like, you know, they understood simply by virtue of association. They they had their own, you know, scenarios they were going through. Um, do you feel that at any point, like, they were bad enough to you to where you extended that same kind of grace to them? Uh, no, they – those – Two, like two specifically, we were never really awful to each other. Oh, okay. Much, anyways, not as much as everyone else were. They just saw your struggle in a way nobody else could. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. At what point did you sort of recognize what that looked like uh, in yourself, and then what was your plan to say, I want to be better? It wasn't until my early 20s. <laughs> Okay, yeah, I, that's fair. I think sure. I mean, I had I had been I would say steadily improving, but I was not good. Just just improving as, you know, you grow older and grow more mature and more aware of yourself. Right. Um but it wasn't yeah, it wasn't until my early 20s when, you know, I had been through a couple abusive relationships on my end and one on theirs and just losing a lot of friends and i was like mm -hmm. there's a common denominator here right <laughs> yeah yeah and that's a really big thing to be able to recognize because i think it's very simple for i'd say anybody at any point in their lives you know everybody at some point has sort of felt like other people are slighting me i uh, my perspective has to be the right one you know it's everybody else who's lives the problem and it, um, it wasn't it wasn't even that i wasn't aware that i was being mean uh -huh. it was just that it you know, if you talk to seventeen-year-old me, and you're like, "Hey, stop being an asshole." He's like, "That's just who I am." That's just okay, right? I, so you yeah. were willing to shirk the the willingness to be better. It was just sort of like this is an unchangeable factor. Yeah, yeah, this is who I okay. am. I'm a cynical asshole. Blah blah blah. Yeah, <laughs> but it sounds like at some point, like you decided to examine that, and then maybe opt to, uh, we'll say, grow out of it. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. at least address it because you recognize that it's it's uh, harmful uh, to others and ultimately to you. Yeah, that was the biggest thing is I ang I was still very angry into my 20s and even to an extent today um, mm -hmm. it was more of like I can't let this take the people I care about away from me anymore because mm. I had you know and there I'd lost so many people just because of the way I acted and they were well within rights I have no I'm not angry with them for doing that I sure. would have done the same thing. Uh, it's just I can't – this is not sustainable for me, and it's certainly not sustainable for the people around me. Mm -hmm. Do you feel it was sort of taking a toll on you uh, emotionally? Because it's a lot of upkeep to be angry. I think uh, yeah. in the past when I've you know, I've had you know, anger things that I've had to sort through, it is exhausting, and it's difficult, and it's really it, – it's so much more effort to hold on to bad feelings consistently. You know, I think sometimes it's easy to feel like, oh, it's it's effortless because I can just be mad at things. But like it takes a really heavy toll on emotional, physical and even spiritual levels. It's yeah, it's exhausting. It's I was really scared to let 
a lot of anger go because it had been the fuel for most of the things I've accomplished. I've done so many things out of spite. You know, mm-hmm. I've pushed myself forward when, you know, my life had just crumbled apart because I was angry. Mm-hmm. And just, it was scary to let all that go because, you know, what would I have to push me forward if not the one thing that's pushed me forward my whole life? So in a way, it sounds like anger was part of your identity because that identity helped you fuel progress, but it was, it was fueled by something negative. Yeah, definitely. Fueled regardless, but okay. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, that's anger is is a tricky thing because I think people get really nervous talking about anger. Like, Oh, I don't want to be an angry person. And I think all of us hopefully do not want that, but anger is a part of life. Anger is a part of things anger is something that we all experience and we're, sh- we're, we're we should experience it it's it's a very important emotion to yeah, i don't, I I don't think, think i don't think yeah. anger is inherently negative right it's yeah you know like like i said you can use it as motivation um it you, it just can't be the sole driving force mm-hmm. is, i guess the way i would put it like it was for me sure and i mean maybe it can sort of promote you or put, put, position you to want to be better Ideally, though, the goal may not be to do it at the expense of others. Right. Yeah. But uh, yeah, anger is it's, – it's funny because, yeah, that, that subject I think I've always looked at in my life until I'd say recent years as, uh, oh, I'm not angry you know, because anger is uh, negative and negative is unbecoming without realizing that anger is an important part of the emotional spectrum. Absolutely. And so suppressing it and withholding it is actually just as damaging because you're disallowing something that – is important to to move forward or to get past things or to understand things or to understand people um so would you say that at this point in your life obviously no one lets go of anger entirely you have to be on some sort of crazy zen level to be able to (laughs) entirely do that but is is it something you feel you have much more under control or at least you understand it better at this point i definitely at least understand it better i've been trying uh, to let a lot of it go. A lot of this did not happen on purpose. Sure. It's um, like when you know I was writing out that big old Google Doc I showed you. Uh, I wrote, oh yes, yes. I wrote about in detail uh, my first serious relationship that was very mutually abusive and destructive to both of us. Mm-hmm. And when I was writing it, I was physically angry, which is. It's one of the primary ways I feel anger. It's a very physical emotion to me. Like my body will shake. Sure. I, you know, sometimes I'll cry, things like that. I was feeling yeah. that as I was writing it down. Um, and then a couple weeks later, a memory had come up from that relationship, a positive memory, and it didn't make me angry for the oh, first good. Okay, time. Oh, good. Because you were in, able to separate the – Yeah, it was, a, it was this date we went on. We – Stayed up all night, you know, we just couldn't sleep, and we're like, fuck mm-hmm. it, let's go to the zoo right when it opens, you know, and it, it was a good day, and that was the first time in nearly a decade that I could think of any part of that relationship and not be angry. Interesting, so okay. It was like, I I finally expressed a lot of it, and just got it out of me, Yeah. and what that ultimately culminated in was I sent her a very long apology for the first time. 
you know, I Wonderful. don't know if she's ever read it. It doesn't really matter, but sure, it was sort of a way for you to express to to get it off of your chest to acknowledge how you feel to take ownership of yeah. of your feelings. Yeah, and it was I I had always said you know, when I would talk about that relationship, I would say, you know, I was abusive to her. I wasn't that good. Mm-hmm. But it was always followed by a but. Mm-hmm. You know, and that I took responsibility in a sense, but it was always it was like, oh, but she did this. So, right. Yeah, there's a, a back and forth, a justification, mm-hmm. a a reasoning of some sort. Have you gotten to the point where you can look at that now and just be like, I did what I did and that's that's all that's all on me. Anything she did, you know, that was on them, and I, I cannot control that. My faults are my own fault, kind of thing. Yeah, and it's I. There was another relationship, another uh, person I apologized to for similar mm-hmm. reasons, but this was mm-hmm. the abuse in this relationship was almost exclusively mine. It was the relationship immediately after the mutually abusive one. Oh, gotcha. So it was just kind of you know shoveling that under her, um, and while I was, you know drafting an apology in my head i looked through some old messages between me and her and i felt sick uh-huh. just by you know the things i was saying and doing yeah yeah at this point i mean like looking back at all that right now um this is always such a really difficult question because you have to assume that like younger you would never want to necessarily listen because you are where you are when you're that age and advice means nothing until you have a reason to hear it but if you could if you could look at where you are right now and go to talk to yourself at that time like what would you say like what would you at least want to try to impart that's difficult because i don't know that i would be where i am if i wasn't the way that i was that's fair i think that makes sense and it's you know, I I would say I'm in a fairly good place. It's yeah, that's not really something I've ever thought about. Uh, mm-hmm. Just because I'm I've always been a very it is what it is person. You know. Would you say like to younger you maybe along the lines of you know, uh, the anger will pass or um, it's okay to feel this way just you know temper it in such a manner like is is there something like thinking back that you wish you would have known you know assuming that it wouldn't change where you are right now but just something that maybe makes you feel like you know you you just didn't have the right equipment or tools to deal with it it would probably be just some sort of reassurance Reassurance, not necessarily you know i I certainly wouldn't listen if you told me to change my behavior, but I... Uh, yeah, I don't think anybody young <laughs> would ever do <laughs> that because that's where you are at that time. You know, like I said, I don't think I would be where I am if not for the way that I was. Sure. Uh, so I think the best thing I could say to myself back then is just, you know, it, it's not always going to be this way. Yeah. And so what do you think it is at this point? Like, because anger is still part of life. Anger is part mm-hmm. of it. What do you think the biggest contributing factors to you dealing with anger now are? It sounds like you said writing things out, um, whether it's sort of like a personal autobiography of of some sort or apologies to people you feel that you've wronged. Is is writing sort of like your primary expression at this point of sort of laying it out in front of you and looking at it? Or is there something else that you do to sort of deal with it? It's 
it's definitely always been writing. I um, I also had this really old blog that I started when I was like 18 mm -hmm. um, and wrote a lot of my thoughts in that. And I hate reading it now because I was still an asshole, but <laughs> which, sure. is why, which is why I've separated and put the new writing somewhere else. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's been that, you know, that's always helped me process my emotions, which has been something that's always been profoundly difficult for me to do. Mm hmm it's do you think that was something that was sort of suppressed growing up like you weren't supposed to show emotions is that do you think a product of society or something you were never taught uh something that was just never present in your life no not at all my my dad has always been very encouraging of mm -hmm. expressing emotions probably because you know he was taught the opposite sure like i when i was in little league if i got i got nailed in the crotch by a 40 mile an hour fastball because I was playing catcher. Mm -mm. First thing my dad said was, "It's okay to cry. You just got to get up." Oh yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, that's the sort of idea I've always clung to. I don't cry. I just don't. I've never shown my emotions much, so I don't cry much. But that's, I've never been ashamed of it when I do. Sure. Is that something you felt you've gotten better at as far as expressing emotions, or do you still sort of like withhold them? Uh, until you're in a place where you want to deal with them in your own way. It's – I don't show them freely, I suppose. Mm -hmm. It's got to be right place, right time. I don't – I try not to suppress them. Yeah. I just try to control them, I suppose. Oh, I see. Do you think that's impacted relationships that you've had with people, or is it something that in a, a secure relationship, whether it's a friendship or a romantic one, that you can open up to that, or is that something that has still maybe – uh, been some sort of blockage for you it used to be a problem okay it used to be a huge problem because i was just very bad at talking about how i felt and i'm still not great at finding the words but mm -hmm. i'm i'm able to speak to it a little more able to make the effort at least and that goes a long way i wouldn't i wouldn't even really try before because sure. i was like i like i'm just going to be stuttering and stammering the whole time yeah so, uh, uh, like I said earlier, a common thread with us was uh, our friend Michelle, um, who as of this recording passed away about a year and a half ago. Um, she was a really largely positive influence in, I think, your entire family's life. Uh, very notably, we did a couple episodes with her and your dad that we yeah. talked about a lot of stuff. But obviously, she had a huge impact and influence on you. Um, do you think there are, are things that she might have taught you in terms of like dealing with emotions uh, that you can look at and go, oh, you know, like what she provided with me helped me sort of like learn how to cope with things or learn how to uh, address them or acknowledge them. Uh, yes, but not directly. Hmm. Not like she when we when I spoke with Michelle, she was never really trying to teach me anything. Right. Um, what we were talking about was mostly my dad because that's you know the subject of all the work she was doing you know right. she was getting my perspective on things but i michelle was ridiculously easy to talk to yes like the fact like i thought about it for weeks the first time i had that you know one-on-one -on -one conversation with her how easy it was for me to open up to her mm -hmm. blew my mind i'd never done that with anybody sure and it wasn't scary. I wasn't concerned, you know. And the while we were talking, it's shifted to me more than my dad because I 
I was the subject of a lot of the things he learned. You know, they were passed mm-hmm. on one way or another. That's just how the top the topic shifted to me. Mm-hmm. And I just kept talking and talking, and that's not something that I do. <laughs> yeah, there's that inter- interconnectivity to it all. But I think also Michelle had a way of sort of helping people feel safe and secure in a way that very few people have, Absolutely. like that I've ever experienced. It was really remarkable. And, um, you know, this podcast episode especially isn't exactly about her, but the influence that she held over both of us, I think, makes her a very pertinent sort of um, middle ground for you and I to sort of discuss, you know, philosophy and, Mm -hmm. you know, how that sort of shaped us and molded us. Because as I understood it, as she was helping, you know, talk to your dad uh, and your family, inevitably there's influence with what she did, her insights, her perspectives and her feedback. It didn't just touch your dad. It touched you, whether it was conversation with her, conversation with your dad. Mm-hmm. You know, the things that I heard when she talked to you or when she talked to your father, uh, those things influenced me. It was a really remarkable and beautiful um, method that she used because she was so welcoming and so open and so non judgmental. What kinds of things do you think you may have taken away? I know it's kind of like a big and sort of broad question, but. In terms of what she provided for you for for listening or coping or whatever that might have been, I mean, dur- during the time of, of all of us talking about um, your dad's struggle and what that looked like, you know, what, what was your biggest takeaway, I think, from that, if you can cite that? I think probably just that, you know, people are trustworthy. You know, yeah, that was always and still is to an extent one of my biggest issues. Like there are. I have really close friends that know very little about my life mm-hmm. and, you know, what I've been through. Like I I went to Chicago recently. My brother's buried up there and I went and saw him and I told one of my friends, uh, I'm going to I'm going to see my brother while I'm in Chicago. And they're like, oh, are you cool? Because I'm not I don't talk to my other half siblings. So they asked, are you and your brother cool? I was like, I should hope so. He's six feet underground. Oh. <laughs> and they were like, whoa, whoa, uh, I didn't know. So I like, That's... You sort of blindsided them with this information. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize they didn't know because it's, it doesn't come up in my mind to sure. talk to people about that. Sure, sure, sure. What was that like uh, going up and sort of confronting – I mean uh, when you went up there um, – you know, how long had it been since you'd had to really sort of like have that in mind, have him in mind? I don't think about him often. Okay. But I know that his death was a catalyst for a lot of things that happened in my life. Mm-hmm. And when I when I made the decision to go see him, I was terrified. Yeah. And it's... What do you think scared you the most about that? Probably, uh, what year was it? About 13 years worth of trauma that I was about to face. Mm. And it wasn't, it was, it was difficult. It was harder than I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, walking up to this little memorial on the ground. I didn't stay very long because it was 16 degrees and windy, but. <laughs> oh, that sounds nightmarish. Yeah, yeah, no, that made it that much worse. Yeah, that's that's fair. <laughs> yeah. 
I don't know, I didn't, I didn't say much. It was more just like, I guess, processing a lot of things that I never realized that I hadn't. Yeah, I can only imagine that seems like something difficult to like suddenly be thrust back into, especially if it was something you were never truly close to. You were sort of close by proxy through your dad about yeah, the whole thing. And, we... and then suddenly you get your own one-on-one and what does that look like? What does that feel like, you know? Yeah, I mean, we never went to his funeral. We never visited his grave before. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was very, it was very much a first for me. And it was, I still don't really know how to express what it was like. You know, it was sure. still it was fairly recent. Yeah, that's, uh, I wouldn't know where to begin. I wouldn't know how to, yeah. to think about that. That's a really tough one. I'm uh, I'm impressed that you were able to even go do that. Um, at all. I think it's a really good thing that you were able to. And even if you quote unquote took nothing away from it, you obviously, you know, there is something that happens regardless. Yeah. I think maybe even the bravery to approach it at all is noteworthy. Thank you. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's something that, you know, uh, it's, it's not unremarkable. It's not a small thing, you know, even showing up to, to look it in the face I think is a much bigger and scarier thing than maybe sometimes we're prepared for. And it sounds like that's sort of what that is. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely the first time I cried about him in a very long time. Have you talked with your dad about it since that moment? No, I, I don't, I'm not even sure if he knows I did it now that I think about it. I see. I'm going to, I'm going to forward him a copy of this the moment it's done. And then <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, he might listen, of course. I have no idea. I'm not, you know, gonna, yeah. gonna force your hand and be like, "Hey, check out all your son's secrets on my public <laughs> podcast." But <laughs> no, I have a I have a fairly open relationship with my dad, so like he we talk a lot. That's really good. I mean, it seems like, uh, yeah, that you know, one thing that I noticed about you because I'd met you obviously a while before I met your father. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I didn't know a whole lot about your dad other than you know you guys came over and helped tile that, that my I had house. One. That you had a father. I knew that you had a father, and I was really impressed. I was like, wow, that's so cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, I didn't know a whole lot about him or any sort of background. And so when Michelle started sort of like taking on this – this I don't want to say case, but this this discussion, you know, yeah. she really opened up this discussion and made it something that was so important to her that we made a podcast, you know, a section about it. Um, but I'm really glad to hear that you and your father uh, – are, are, are close and open because I think that can be trauma can do so much to a family that either brings you unbearably close or can absolutely destroy <laughs> the dynamic and you never talk to one another again. Yeah. I mean, so, I, this last year, me and my dad had quite a bit of strain in our relationship, but we were, you know, we were able to move past that. There's... Sure. Yeah. Conflict isn't necessarily bad. Conflict maybe helps you sort of like strengthen the things that you have to figure out how to work on yeah no it was it was very very difficult to speak to him for a little bit but yeah the fact that we were able to move past that i think yeah great because i i wasn't interested in losing my relationship with my dad over anything if i can help it that's really important yeah that's sort of makes you reprioritize the things you feel you have to say just because you know sometimes it can be easy to say well you know you need to hear me out Uh, Or as as you cited earlier, you know, when you were younger, this is just who I am, Mm -hmm. you know, but as people, we get to choose 
who we are. And you don't just say, oh, you know, I'm stuck with it. You can say, do I want this to shift? Yeah. That's wonderful. At this point, it sounds like you are really doing remarkably well. Um, but like any person, you know, like, you know, we're never completed projects. We're always works in progress. Um, what do you think it is at this point that you want to focus on, you know, having uh, all of this stuff that you've just talked about that you've acknowledged very directly? Um, what are what are things you feel like in this moment you still might struggle with when it comes to maybe emotions or uh, openness or communication or resentment or anger? I mean, there's so many possible things. I mean, there's definitely still a lot of anger I need to work through. Um, like I lived my entire life angry. Mm-hmm. And I've, you know, only just scratched the surface of the very big things. Like, I think the biggest thing is, in terms of anger and relationships right now, is I don't speak to my mom. That's not something I'm interested in changing, but that is something I need to process a little more, mm-hmm. I think. And it's just it's especially difficult because my parents are still together. Oh, gotcha. So speaking to one of them but not the other can be really yeah. tough. I gotcha. So you wouldn't necessarily uh, – if you were to visit them, what would that be like? Because clearly I, that would <laughs> – I have visited them, and it's okay. – I ignore my mom, and she goes into the room. And I see. It's essentially that. The most awkward interaction I had with them is when I was still with my most recent ex, and we went to California to – uh, my dad wanted me to come to California to see my grandma before she passes. Mm-hmm. This was at, you know, beginning of January of last year. Yeah. You know, the worst month ever. Right. Yeah. Really <laughs> for a while. That, sure. uh, but my girlfriend came with me and my girlfriend knew about, you know, my relationship with my mom and how non-existent it is. And I was like, mm-hmm. I, I am going to try to keep you guys apart, but like you you don't need to be rude. If she speaks it, you can speak to her. I know you're concerned with impressions and all that. You, you do you, but it's, I, you know, I'm going to try to put a stop to that. And I did it first when we, when we arrived at the airport and my parents picked me up, my mom tried to introduce herself and I got in between them. Hmm. And that was the extent of that. My mom didn't speak to her much, but she did speak to her. My girlfriend, replied very curtly but polite as mm-hmm. she, but it was just it's a very difficult couple days in california yeah i can only imagine now is this something that and i i never want to you know cross boundaries of course when it comes to this topic of conversation is it something <laughs> you feel you're interested in finding a way to reconcile or you know like because you you live very much in the moment uh as you've said uh, should something happen to either of you, would you want to leave it sort of like this open-endedness or is there room for reconciliation? Uh, or is that a priority? I suppose. I, this, I struggle with this feeling sometimes because it, mm. I have no interest in having her in my life. Sure. And you have the prerogative to do that. I think yeah. it's, you know, that that's an important thing to say as well too is I'm not sitting here trying to play armchair counselor no, being I, like yeah. you know here's what you gotta <laughs> yeah because yeah you you have every right to say who is or isn't in your life and the thing and that, no one 
Yeah, it gets to tell you yeah. otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, the thing that makes me feel bad sometimes is sometimes, you know, I'll think when she she would say stuff like, oh, you'll regret it if something happens to me. And my first thought is, mm -hmm. no, I won't. I, sure. I have no regrets about burning this bridge. And, Do you but sometimes just, think that's like anger responding or is it like just honest responding? I, a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. um, there would probably be a bit more compassion uh, once I work through the anger, but I don't, I don't foresee any reconciliation. Yeah. When it comes to, to working through this kind of stuff, is it, is it isolating for you? Or do you yeah. even talk about it with anybody? Do you have like therapists or uh, close confidants that like, you know, do you ever talk with your dad about this? I have talked to my dad a couple times about this, not at length, um, mm -hmm. just because I feel that would put him in a really weird position and I'm sure. not interested in making him choose. That's fair. Um, but I do have a couple friends I speak to about, I, like I said, I write things down a lot, but right. it, most of the time processing my emotions in general is very much an isolationist thing that I do. Mm -hmm. I, I am constantly thinking. Yeah. So there's always there's always something running through my mind no matter what I'm doing, and I will. I've realized a lot of things just out of nowhere. About you know my emotional state, things I've seen, trauma, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you keep yourself <clears throat> fairly focused at this point, with with your job as sort of a way to, excuse me. <coughs> I just put some saliva in my lung <laughs> against my better judgment that's where it goes I, you know I, I i thought it in a moment that it did but uh I, I'm, I'm opting out of that now so where's my train of thought <clears throat> with with your your sort of constant desire to to keep busy do you think that something as a, a response to not necessarily wanting to think about things or does it give you time to also focus on thoughts in addition to being busy? It, it allows me to think. Okay. Keeping like, if I have, you know, something to occupy my hands, my mind is free. Mm -hmm. It's very much an ADHD thing, I think. Um, but like I've, I'm always fit. I'm fidgeting with a paracord bracelet right now. But <laughs> I'm always fidgeting oh, gotcha. with something yeah, so that I can always want something going on. Focus. Sure. So you're a multitasker. Yeah, I have to be, or I'm a mess. <laughs> Certainly. <laughs> you had one simple goal, and it was just to focus on that. So yeah, this is a. Uh, this sounds like you've got, like anybody, you've got a road ahead, but it also seems like you have a, a, a decent. I don't even want to say plan because you don't have a plan as I understand it. You have the now, you have the present, and the present is a good enough plan for you to sort of just enjoy moment to moment. Yeah, I mean, if, if I had a plan, I wouldn't live in three states in as many years. <laughs> That's totally fair. <laughs> yeah, a lot less impulsive. Do you think – would you consider yourself uh, impulsive or would you say you're, you're somewhat calculated? I am horrifically impulsive. Okay, you just do literally is, whatever spur of the moment. Yeah, it's something I've really had to get a control of because my spending habits were bad. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Okay. <laughs> they they yeah. still kind of are, but I'm making it work. Yeah, like absolutely. I, I just dropped $400 on a plane ticket to Arizona before I even got the days off. 
<laughs> oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, you, you knew what you wanted. You'll find a way to make it work. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, w- would you say that you wish you had like a better balance or is, is this something you're just like, Hey, this is who I am and I enjoy it. Or do you want to change it? Or have you changed it to this because this is what you want? I wish I had more disposable income. <laughs> That's totally fair. <laughs> it's, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily regret the impulsive decisions that I've made most of the times. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a matter of sometimes I make them when I can't afford to. Right. And I just have to deal with the fallout of that. You just sort of deal with the consequences. That's, that's but ultimately it's at, future Byron's at, problem. At this point, okay, that's fair. <laughs> well, you know what? I heard something as well. I, I might have cited this on a different episode. But uh, when I was um, listening to another podcast regarding Kevin Smith talking about his, <laughs> his desire to make the movie Clerks, something that he had said, it was like, well, I'm really worried about, you know uh, – whether or not it's going to be successful, whether I'm going to recoup the money that I've spent to do this kind of thing. And he put himself in this sort of constant state of worry. And his sister at some point like sort of addressed it and said, look, the goal is to do the thing. So do whatever it takes to do the thing. Whatever you have within you, mm-hmm. the goal is to get that out. And as long as you get it out, you're good. And he sort of like you know recoiled and said, well, sure, because even if like it's a financial mess, which luckily it wasn't, he said it's just money. And money you can regain. You can figure that out. You know, like money obviously helps us sort of secure uh, even moment to moment. But in the end, money is still just a thing that can be figured out. Yeah. And it was most important that he did what he felt he needed to do for himself. Now, he had a plan, but also allowed himself to maybe also impulsively, you know, do what it took to make the plan happen regardless of consequence. Yeah. Potential consequence is – is that something that you feel that maybe you can also relate to in a way like or or do you do you have anything that you want to do other than just you're fine doing the mechanic thing you want to take a trip to Arizona maybe you want to go see a concert and it's literally like uh a, a week ahead at a time if if that yeah i mean it's i have very vague goals like mm-hmm. my long term goal right now is to travel as much as possible that's a great goal yeah, I mean, my, I mean, one of the earliest things that my dad told me was that there's no better teacher than travel, and that's something I took to heart the moment I heard it. Sure. And that's what's, why. Or go ahead. No, I was going to say what's I, I want to ask about the places you've traveled, but like continue with your thought, and then I'll I'll follow up. Well, yeah, it's, it's I was going to the same place. It's I, you know, I love road trips. When I lived in Austin, I would mm-hmm. drive 12 hours to Albuquerque in one sitting. You know. No problem back and forth. I'd go to Lubbock. we go to Dallas, Waco. Mm-hmm. Um, when I moved to Columbus, I spent a day in Nashville. I didn't need to do that. That was cool. Nashville kicks mm-hmm. ass. You just got to see it. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's just – I went up to Cleveland impulsively for a concert. It's only a two-hour drive, it's, mm-hmm. so it wasn't bad. Um, I went to Chicago on a whim. Never been to Chicago. Going to Arizona. It's just – the things you learn just traveling is incredible, you know, and it's not like educational learning or even street smarts. It's just the world is different a state away. Yeah. It's crazy. Experiential learning is something I think that is very valuable is simply don't be afraid of a consequence. Just do the thing. That's my biggest thing. Like it's people, people who are afraid of failure are kind of frustrating to me 
Because, like, I mean, like, I understand. I get it. And it's yeah. totally understandable. But, like, the only thing you're going to get out of failure is the learning experience. Yeah. I mean, so from what I understand um... – I've heard I've heard tell that like if you want to become a master of something, you you do it for ten thousand hours, right? Mm. And the secret of that is that nine thousand five hundred of those hours, if if not more, are spent failing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then the, and then the it's like so it's like the three percent of what's left is where you actually like have succeeded enough to be comfortable doing whatever you're doing. Yeah. Uh, at one point, somebody asked me, you know, because I was talking about Mega Man Nine, one of my favorite games of all time. And it's notoriously difficult. But I got to the point where I could, you know, cruise through this thing. And somebody's like, holy crap, how did you get good at it? And I just said, I died way more than I succeeded. Yeah. yeah. You know, my failure to win ratio is absolutely skewed in the most terrible numbers. But that's how you do it. Just play Dark Souls. Just play Dark Souls. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Die a thousand hours, never win the game, and feel like you've succeeded somehow. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um yeah, no, I, I think that I think that's really a great idea is to say just do it. Obviously, not everybody can do this. It, it, there's oh, a, yeah. a, a, a a degree of privilege to saying you know just go out and see the world. But if if not the world, maybe a different state, maybe a different city in your state. Mm-hmm. Heck, maybe a building you've never been to in your city. You know, take a different drive home. A different drive home. That's a great. Even that starting small. I think, you know, changing a routine, uh, if you're able to, yeah. even even in the smallest degree, can maybe propel you to, like, feel more encouraged or able yeah, that's, to, to try new things. Like, if, if – that's one of the things I've always done, even, like, when I lived in Albuquerque, when I lived in Austin, when I lived here in Columbus, it's – if I can't afford a trip, I'll just walk into a restaurant I've never been to. And I'll just have a sure. meal. Sure. I've done that everywhere I've lived – only been disappointed a couple times <laughs> and the worst comes worse yeah like if it's just food i mean and you can even start with a familiar restaurant and order something you've never ordered before. yeah it's just you know it, you should just try new things yeah habit is exciting habit, habit is comforting yes but um i've actually tried to make it a goal this year to oftentimes do new things even if it's small uh just to try something that i haven't done before you know new new menu item on a restaurant um yeah, that's fantastic. That's great advice in general, I think, because there's so many degrees to which we can just mix up our day, even if it's one small thing. Yeah, and it's 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 easier than a lot of people think in in uh, in so far as you know bigger changes, um, but it's never easy. Things are going to be difficult, but that's sure. why you should do it. Yeah, where do you want to travel? What's like? What's a place that you've been like thinking about that you're just like that's on the list? Like that's a a milestone. I have not stopped thinking about Chicago. Chicago, okay. <laughs> Chicago was so cool. Great. Like I I have always loved big cities. Mm-hmm. Like I. Chicago is very much an East Coast style big city. They built up. Mm-hmm. You know the the big cities I'd been to were like Denver, L.A. You know big sprawling cities. You know, that's just what we have in the West. Everything is big. Yeah, very spread out. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, in Chicago, it I, I spent like a few hours just walking down downtown Chicago and mm-hmm. it felt like what I imagined New York to be. 
Oh, so you haven't been to New York. Is that kind of a goal for you as well? Yeah, oh, I'd love to go to New York. It's only cool. eight hours away. That's not bad, actually. All Everything is so close over here. <laughs> Dude, it's crazy. When I yeah. left, I drove eight hours. I was still in Texas. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Texas is as long as, yeah, like a drive from any place on like the East Coast. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a six-hour drive to Chicago, which blew my mind. There's a state in between me. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so so uh, bigger cities. What about something say like uh, like Tokyo or Beijing? You know, like what about like these? Uh, is are international cities sort of on your docket at some oh, point? Oh, Japan is a dream trip. That's always dream has trip, been. Sure. I would love to go to Canada, which is extremely doable now. I just need a passport. Sure. Um. Uh, Europe, like the UK, Ireland, just there's a lot of places I want to go. I definitely mm-hmm. want to visit outside the country. Yeah. Um, You've never had the opportunity to go outside the country, correct? Yeah, never. Okay. But you've got maybe that. So that could be like sort of like a general goal. No specific place, no specific order, mm-hmm. but the goal is to to have the means to just say, "F it, pop on a plane and just go someplace else." I could drive four hours being Canada. Just that, that's true. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Okay. Well, it's... so this is yeah. I'm sorry. I lost it. <laughs> it's done. Yeah, exactly. Done. Immediate there it goes. spur of the moment. You were living in the moment so much. <laughs> when you take immediately... it from me, it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was my job was to say, I'm going to disrupt your comfort. Yeah. That's uh, that's what I did. I said, you know, I'm going to wait until Byron speaks, and I'm immediately going to talk over him and make sure that he doesn't get to finish his sentence. Um. But I mean, so it sounds like, you know, uh, people, people are work in progress. Yeah. You've got some things on your plate that you recognize that you wish to address. Um, and on top of like interpersonal things that you're working on, you also have uh, a nice sort of, and we'll say security, you know, like, but security in so much as like, it's not, you know, this is where you're going to get your retirement from necessarily. Right. But in, in this moment, you've got a job that you like that supports what you want to do enough to get you to the next whatever it is yeah the fact that i can transfer it helps me a lot oh and even nice. it, actually yeah i transferred yeah. from austin to columbus and even if for some reason i couldn't transfer through penske i have experience in a trade i can get a job anywhere oh that's pretty great that's pretty great yeah i think even opening up yourself to like having the possibility of if this company itself was not uh you know coming up you still have enough to be like look I'm quite qualified at a variety of other places. Yeah. That's cool. That's super cool. Okay. Well, as uh, I don't know if you've listened to any of the other podcasts. If you have not, that's totally fine. I've listened to a couple episodes. Oh, good. Okay. So you kind of know that like, I'm about to, to barrage you with a handful of questions. Yes. Oh, good. Okay. I don't know if you've prepared at all or if like, we're just truly winging it. All right. (laughs) Very good. Very good. So what I did want to ask you to sort of wrap this up in the next, you know, however long it takes is I'm going to ask you five recommendations and um, let's go ahead and start with what you, if you had to recommend these these to anybody, Mm -hmm. let's go ahead and start with a book, a book recommendation. I got, I got two, two of my favorite books. Two of your favorite books. All right. One of them is called The Things They Carried by Tim O'Brien. It is... The it's memoirs from a Vietnam vet, mm. um, and it is he's an unreliable narrator. I gotcha. 
and it just goes in depth in you know the things he experienced and he acknowledges in it's, it's a collection of short stories more than a cohesive narrative and he sure. acknowledges in multiple that you know he's lying you know for example like uh he watched this one soldier not save this other one and then later on in the book he's like no that was me i i let that man die and it's just interesting it's just this really interesting and gripping tale and i've always been interested in um like his historical wars vietnam being one of the ones i've always found most interesting sure so that one's always connected with me and it's a really good insight into the vietnam war uh veterans you know ptsd and also yeah. uh the nature of constructing a narrative in and of itself the nature of writing yeah, that's uh, hearing about wars is generally through like the lens of like media coverage, and you get personal accounts occasionally. But it sounds like mm -hmm. for somebody to really like go in depth about what their experience was like, but also struggle to like be forthcoming at yeah. moments where it's almost like you know, it's very difficult and very human. Yeah, and he 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 has stories where you know in the middle of war, in the middle of a battle, he has stories of you know his unit just lost this guy, so they're killing a buffalo. He has a story um, where he's just sitting on a boat with this old man, and he's just looking at the border of Canada because he's a, he's got mm. drafted. Mm. And there's one where he tells a story of someone in his unit just driving around his old town uh, looking for someone to share his stories with. And it's just – it's it's a really beautiful book. It I've read it numerous times. If you're into audiobooks, Brian Cranston narrates it. It's fantastic. Oh. That'd be great as well too. Audiobooks, I know, can help a lot of people, myself included, who have a hard time focusing reading sometimes. Yeah. Um, and what's this one called once more? Uh, the Things They Carried by Tim O'Brien. The Things They Carried by Tim O'Brien. Okay, amazing. And you said he had another book as well. Yeah, it's uh, Jeanette McCurdy's book, I'm Glad My Mom Died. That book fucked me up. <laughs> <laughs> so you know what? I've actually heard uh, several people recommend this, and uh, I went to, to look for an audiobook version. I don't have any of like the programs. So I went onto YouTube and I, I typed it in and someone's like, oh, yeah, I've got this version right here. And then it was like some crappy computer narrator voice. And I was like, I can't do this. So if you, I think I'm going to take the plunge and go to Audible or something. Yeah, actually. if you have Audible, Jeanette McCurdy reads it. That's even so better. I think I want that. <laughs> yeah, I heard an interview where um, she was like arguing with her editors because the way she writes it in some parts is not you know, the proper way. But she's like, no, I ne it needs to read this way. So That's how she intended it, it, yeah. Yeah is much better and that's how i listen to the book i just bought a physical copy like a week ago um, okay so you heard but, audible first yeah i listened to the audiobook and it cool. was beautiful and devastating and it was just yeah. so honest and raw and it really it got to me in a way i wasn't expecting i was just interested because it's like oh that's the girl from my carly you know like <laughs> sure yeah i was not expecting it to hit me as hard as it did yeah, that sounds like a great book, and I think it's one that I want to get into, and I've had a couple of recommendations, and now with yours, that's cemented uh, my decision to actually just pop on Audible and start getting more regular circulation of audiobooks, but mm -hmm. that one's going to sort of escalate to the top of the list, I think. Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic read. Okay, perfect. Um, great, okay, so the, a good couple of books, it sounds like they're sort of on different ends of like a spectrum mm -hmm. for what kind of like story they're telling, story yeah. as it were. Uh, very good. Now, this is one that I know we could talk about for a million hours, but I'm going to have to have you sort of like tone it down to like, you know, I guess your top 200,000. Okay. But if you, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll make it easy for you. Um, but if you got to recommend a movie or TV show, one or the other or both. 
<laughs> right. Yeah, this is not going to be an easy one, but like uh, something that maybe even in this moment, it could be something you saw a, a day ago that really resonates right now or 10 years ago that you still think about. What a, What's a movie or a book or excuse me, a movie or a TV show? My current favorite movie, which uh, knocked over a lot of others that were close, is Everything mm-hmm. Everywhere All at Once. You know what? And that just that, won a bunch of Oscars yeah, for no, very like, good reason. <laughs> yeah. If you think the Oscars is rigged, watch that movie. The Oscars are still probably rigged, but like that movie right. deserves <laughs> all of those Oscars. Yeah, that's actually – it's true. They're a very, very impressive a piece of work by a lot of incredible uh, Asian uh, actors it's um, just... and writers and directors. It was just a terrific film. Okay, but yeah. I don't want to glow about it. I want you to tell me all about it. It's that I wasn't expecting like I I knew Daniels I saw Swiss Army Man I was like this is gonna be a fun movie yeah that movie is beautiful in every sense of the world the way it's shot the writing the acting everything about that movie I would not change which is like yeah absolutely I mean it, it goes into a lot of discussion about like relationship with one's parents which I think is a really fascinating one for you would have chosen considering our conversation. Well, what, the thing that interested me about it when I, cause I saw it with my ex-girlfriend and mm-hmm. we had two completely different takeaways from the movie mm-hmm. and Remember. they both lined up with our personal philosophies, which are also sort of opposite. Um, sure. Hers was, if I'm remembering this correctly, it was like, if you, you have an obligation to do good by the people in your life. Which mm-hmm. I don't disagree with. Sure. Um, and my my major takeaway was that nothing matters, so you get to pick what matters. Sure. Yeah. And, it's and to a, think of those two things coexisting. Yeah, absolutely. Like these, you know? these are not mutually exclusive statements. Sure. But yeah, we just pulled different themes from this movie. Yeah, and I mean, and that's I think some of the best kind of art, and why this movie might be worthy of everything that it very rightfully earned. Oh, absolutely. Is that, you know, like the takeaways for everybody. I went and saw it with a friend uh, who had lost his dad not long before. And so that movie resonated highly on a completely different level. Yeah. And it's, you know, you know I keep anytime I see someone talk about this movie, they're always talking about a different thing. Sure. And I always understand where they're getting it from. It's not like yeah. I haven't seen a misinterpretation yet. Yeah. Yeah. It is truly some of the best art that is out there. So everything, everywhere, all at once. Great choice. If you haven't seen it by now, do yourself a favor uh, and it's absolutely so hunt it down and check it out. It is, it is worthy of the Oscars that you got. Yeah, that That's my current favorite movie now. The ones okay. I was always big into, I had a sort of archetype of favorite movies growing up, and mm-hmm. it was the ones with gifted assholes. <laughs> oh, like, sort of uh, like uh, – uh, what's the one with Matt Damon? Goodwill Hunting. That was Good Will Hunting. I was going to yeah, name. That, that – <laughs> okay. uh, First, it's just a beautiful movie. I love that movie. Gus yeah. Van Sant is one of my favorite directors. Yeah. Um, but just that movie to this day hits me emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, another one is Donnie Darko, which is a different, but oh. the same sort of character archetype between sure. Donnie and Will uh, mm-hmm. relates there. Um, those two are the major ones. I was also really big on The Outsiders. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then oh, Rocky, obviously. Rocky, yeah, yes. which is also oh. sort of like this evergreen kind of like film that you could always watch it and always be like, wow. I think Rocky 1 is a perfect movie also. I agree. <laughs> I don't disagree <laughs> in any way. I think Rocky Balboa is better, but Rocky 1 is perfect. 
I also agree with <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, Rocky one's the best Rocky. Rocky Balboa is my favorite Rocky. Yeah. That's that's sort of what it comes down to. <laughs> Uh, great. Okay, so you've got a, a, a healthy selection of, of movies that you you, uh, you you sort of have like this this type and the style, and that's really that's mm-hmm. that's my very, primary very hobby cool. is media consumption. Media consumption. Yeah. No, I <laughs> I get it. Yeah. Well, it's great because uh, speaking of consumption, I want to know if you could recommend a food. This could be a local restaurant. It could be a restaurant wherever you are, local to Albuquerque, local to Ohio, local to, I don't know, Timbuktu. Hmm. Heaven forbid. I don't think you've been there. Um, That'd be kind of cool. That would be kind of cool. Or you could just be like, I really like this specific hungry man meal in the frozen <laughs> section at Walmart. You know, like what, what's a food that either you just, you just, it's like a comfort food or you crave it or it's just one of those, you know. Recommend a food. Uh... The double steak grilled cheese burrito from Taco Bell. Double steak grilled cheese burrito from Taco Bell? Yes. I Got eat it. that way too much. How, how, how often is too much? Uh, multiple times a week. Okay. I was going to say multiple they, times a day would be really impressive. Yeah. <laughs> times a week would actually – okay, that's – They, that's they took it off the menu for like a couple of weeks and I was really upset, but it's back. It's back already. Well, the Taco Bell CEO listened to this podcast. Yeah, and he was like, "We got to figure this out." For yeah, Byron. I that it's burrito is so good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't tried that one before. I'll, actually, that's, that's it's really, really good, delicious. Uh, for a real dish, uh, Bedia tacos wherever you get them. That's whoa, a real dish. You're calling out Taco Bell? <laughs> yeah, it's, you know what they did for that burrito? They took their same five ingredients and put them in a different order. <laughs> oh, they just, it's like a remix. That's just that's all Taco Bell menu is. <laughs> I suppose that's true. <laughs> five things with 80 variations. With the exception of the Mexican pizza, the Mexican pizza that's is the only Taco Bell item with a unique ingredient. Did you know that? An actual – I did not. It's the Mexican pizza sauce. Oh, so it's a unique sauce exclusive to it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I didn't know that. You know, I've never gotten a Mexican pizza from there. I tried it once, and I didn't like it. It's the only thing my <laughs> dad <fair>. gets. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So that's that's why you guys had a falling out for a bit. Was yeah, no, he did. He, he loves it. And you're like he no, lied no to way. Me. He lied to you. <laughs> yeah, this is delicious, son. You'll love it. Yeah. Okay. So you, uh, but also Bidia tacos, which, um, uh, you know, they're all obviously all over the place here in Albuquerque. But are you able to find those out in Ohio anywhere? It took me a long time. <laughs> you did. You did find something. It was, okay. It's so hard to find Mexican food up here. Like. That, well, that when makes I, sense. <laughs> when I um when I first moved here, my friends were like, "We're gonna take you to this taco place," and I was like, mm-hmm. "Oh boy!" <laughs> they took me to this place. I'm gonna name and shame them. It's a place called Condado Tacos. Food was fine. It tasted good. It's not a taco. It was like oh, it gotcha. Was, it was fancy Taco Bell. <laughs> I see. When when you say yeah. we're going out for tacos and margs, I want you know my corn tortillas. I want right. all that. This is yeah, fancy Taco Bell. Tradition. Much too much. Okay, but still good. Oh, it's just not authentic. Good. Yeah. Okay. They're like we're getting tacos. Like you know where I'm from, right? Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and I sometimes feel like a snob when I'm out someplace outside of New Mexico, and it's just like, oh yeah, you think you know? And I've been humbled a couple times too. Oh, you can find you can find it. You just have to look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you found some video tacos out there at the yeah, very there's, least. There's a food truck that I go to also way too much. So with a food truck, do you are they always in the same spot, or do you have to like hunt them down in the city? This one's always in the same spot. 
There are okay. there are a couple that move around. Do you think it needs to be a food truck if it's always in the same spot? Or could you just be like, look, just open up a restaurant already? Cause yeah, you're... open up a restaurant in this uh, Shell parking lot. In this, okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just construct a shed from Lowe's or whatever yeah. and just use that. Okay. Perfect. Um, okay, so Bidia Tacos and um, the Double Steak Cheesy Grilled Cheese Burrito. burrito. Grilled Cheese burrito. burrito. Got it. Got it. I'm going to try one of those probably tomorrow then. They're so good. Okay. And now one of my favorite questions of all time, one that we could also discuss for a billion hours, which we won't. Uh, but so Yeah, that's true. I suppose we could later. Um, <laughs> unless we want this episode to be just sort of like the benchmark that everybody has Everlasting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 16-hour <laughs> podcast. Um, what about uh, a favorite video game? Could be a current <sighs> favorite. Could be an old-time favorite, a nostalgic favorite, whatever it is, you know? Uh... Well, my favorite series of all time is the Yakuza series. Now, Like a Dragon. Well, Yakuza, Like a Dragon. Right. Well, like, they go by Like a Dragon in the West now. Yes, yeah, they've yeah. Uh, been, yeah, the but official Most people will title. likely know it as Yakuza. That that series sure. is so emotional. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, most people aren't going to realize when they see clips because it's just you doing goofy shit. Yeah, punching tigers in a casino yeah, or whatever. Punching tigers, doing karaoke, <laughs> going yeah. to like a hostess club, but like they... racing RC cars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you see a man come out of a sewer and drag and try to fight you. Yeah. But it's like... cool about Yakuza is it's basically side quest the game. Yeah, and when you <laughs> the character arc of a lot of these characters is so good. Like the writing yeah. is fantastic. I have cried numerous times playing this series. <laughs> Sure. I've played Yakuza 6. It's not even my favorite Yakuza game. I've played it the most because the ending will make me cry like a baby every time. Amazing. Yeah, and there's and, there's multiple games. There's a lot of games in this series. Prequels and there's side seven, stories. Eight mainline games now, and there's yep. Dead Souls on PS3. They just remastered Ishin, which is mm -hmm. one of the samurai spinoffs, and there's another samurai spinoff. Yep, and then we have Judgment, which is like oh, parallel in the universe. Lost Judgment. Lost Judgment, right. it's just these these games tackle really really heavy topics a lot of the time and they do it yeah. extremely well and respectful most of the time yeah. they're, they're like the early 